Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. In a sports world that shouts, look at me, our guest today on Sport Faith Life, Professor Hal Wilson, leads with humility. With over 20 years of coaching experience at all levels below the NBA and many championships, Coach Wilson does have something to brag about. But instead, he mentors coaches to be humble and to keep learning. Though he teaches at a public university, Coach Wilson draws his strength and his coaching philosophies from his faith in Jesus Christ, something he expresses and demonstrates with grace and inclusivity. We can learn a lot from him, and we're excited to get this conversation going. So, let's get started. Well, we're so excited to have Hal Wilson with us today. Hal, great to have you here. I wonder if you can start by telling us a little bit about sport in your life. Well, first of all, it's an, an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate what you guys are doing. Uh, sport has always been an enormous part of my life. Uh, every member of my family, I grew up in North Carolina, and at that time, the Atlanta Braves were in the NL West, and my grandmother, she lived into her 90s, uh, she, she used to say, you shouldn't pray for sports, but I'll pray for Dale Murphy. He's a good boy. <laughs> and uh, she would stay up late and watch the NL West, you know, the 1035 start games on the West Coast. And uh, so every, I mean, my mom was a basketball player. My dad was an athlete. I mean, everybody, it was just part of the fabric of my life from as long as I can remember. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, those Braves days, that's great. Um, hey, tell us a little bit about faith in your life. Right, so I, I grew up in a Christian home, uh, and then as a, a story right now, being on the college campus, I uh, actually started a course here on religion, spirituality, and sport, and we talk about the kids' background, and, and you hear this story a lot, and matter of fact, I'm teaching that course right now, and the majority of uh, the students in my class have this same story, where they grew up in a Christian household, and then drifted away from their faith, and, and, and went away, and now they're, they're kind of looking, and so that's definitely where I was. I was uh, far away from my faith, and then I was... Uh, in college coach and college basketball coach, high school basketball coach, and I was a, a varsity head coach in Georgia and considered myself a Christian. And I said, well, if, if I say I'm a Christian, how's my coaching any different from the person on the other side on who's not, right? And uh, so how do I not compartmentalize my life? How do I integrate my faith into my coaching, into everything I do? And uh, just really try to, from that point on, try and, and do that. And it made a huge shift uh, for me a huge change positive change for me in every way well Hal, we're really looking forward to hearing about that that change and that uh, project that you're involved in and integrating your faith into the work of sport which is uh, very much what we're talking about here on sport faith life but i'm wondering just before that could you give us something that helps the audience get to know you something about yourself that maybe is a little off the beaten path something unusual maybe a hobby um yeah wide open yeah well i'm sports are my hobby i'm i'm the most boring person i had no hobbies when i was a coach you know my, my hobbies were watching film hmm. and so uh now that i'm not a varsity coach i mean i have three kids so three young kids so pouring into them uh, is really probably where i spend the most of my time uh, as far as my athletic career goes probably you know if you've seen the moody rudy most people have a walk on gets carried off the field my my story was like rudy except i didn't get carried off the field i was a uninvited 
uh, walk-on uh, that got to dress at the end of the season. But uh, that, that's probably the most interesting thing. Well, I think uh, a lot of us have uh, athletic careers that are similar, you know, and we like to tell bigger stories the older we get. So maybe you ought to work on your stories a little bit. I don't think they're, they're <laughs> as verifiable, so you can go ahead and amplify right. them just a little bit as we go forward. Well, tell us a little bit about I, I, you've had a rich coaching history. Um, tell us a little bit about like how, what caused you to arrive in the place where you are now, like what uh, sort of career trajectory have you followed to get yeah. to this point? Well, there's there's one reason, and that, that's uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has brought me exactly where I am right here. There's no question. I tell my students every year, uh, you may think it's coincidence that you're here, but I don't. Um, I never wanted to be a professor. It was never the plan, ever, absolutely. Um, I wanted to be a coach. Uh, after I was in college, and I started volunteering, and uh, inner city basketball league and the way the kids treated me hooked me and I wanted uh, to be a coach after that and a college coach and then a high school coach and then um, after coaching about 15 years I just started being pulled in a different direction and um, wasn't sure what it was and um, my prayer life uh, has been inconsistent but I uh, pretty consistently prayed every day me and my wife you know seeking God's will where did he want us to go and uh, as a matter of fact we were going to be missionaries um, I was using basketball as an outreach, and there was a group. Uh, at first, they had a place outside of London, England. I thought, this is great. I don't have to learn a new language. <laughs> I mean, we speak pretty much the same language, and they use basketball. This is perfect. Well, then they decided not to fund that position. But they said, hey, but we've got one in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> I'd never heard of Chiang Mai, Thailand, right? So then we had to think, well, if, if we were really trusting God and following his will, all right, we said we'd do it, so let's do it. Right, so the week we're supposed to start the training, uh, the Thai government shuts the school down. I was going to be working at in Thailand. That door closed, and so there were a bunch of other situations like that, just seeking God's will. And I was, I thought maybe I'd be a principal. I could impact people as a principal. I'd been accepted to the Ed Leadership Program at the University of Georgia. And in late April, which is late in the higher ed world, I get an email through a listserv about the University of Tennessee, which is where I met my wife, where I got my master's, um, had a fully funded PhD position. And they were starting a Center for Sport, Peace, and Society, which looks at how sport can be used for good around the world. And, and, and they're amazing. And so I sold my house, sold my trucks, sold everything I owned. We had a, our first daughter was born, an infant daughter. We moved back to Tennessee, uh, not knowing where we were going to go. Supposed to be a three-year program. I was highly motivated because of my daughter and then had another one on the way. So I finished in less than two years. And everybody said, well, you won't get a job now because you don't have a publication record. And I thought I'd be in sport management and uh, a position opened here at Georgia Southern, which has one of the best coaching education programs in the country. Dr. Drew Zwald uh, came and started it in the, in the 90s and uh, they needed somebody. And then in the interview, they said, we don't have anybody that can teach coaching basketball. And I'm like, what? Is this America? What do you mean you don't have anybody that can teach coaching basketball? So uh, one of my former players was in the class I had to teach as part of the interview process. I mean, God just worked it out perfectly. And so I've just finished my eighth year here absolutely love what I do and just really trying to uh, pass on these wonderful opportunities I've been given to the students. So, so much of what you're saying, Hal, just resonates with me and Brian. We're, we're, you, get, you know, we're nodding our heads here as you're saying all this, but starting, starting with, you know, I never saw myself as being a professor. I think that just resonates with the two of us also. Coaching was a big thing um, and just sort of, you know, through a series of open and closed doors, following God's will in our lives, you know, here we are in academia. And so, you know, years had, had some extra special loops there in it, um, the, the missionary work. 
I wonder where you see now um, coaching education. If you can talk to us a little bit about maybe that field and the way in which you can infuse that with your with your faith background and uh, and the ways in which you've taken you know specifically principles from coaching basketball into what you're doing as well. I imagine not every student you have wants to be a basketball coach, although they should. There are actually other sports out there that people like to coach. So you're trying to come up with things that are a little bit broader than just that, but I wonder if you can talk us through you as a, a, a coaching education professional. Right, so this program has been one, I've learned a ton from our program because, uh, you know, well first we have a minor for undergraduates, it's a 15 hour minor, and then we also have a master's degree fully online. We have students from almost 30 states and seven countries, every level from professional to middle school to uh, military strength and conditioning, everything, equestrian coaches, I mean, martial arts, it's not just the traditional sports. And they come in as a cohort and you learn so much from each other. Um, but it's really neat to see, and that's kind of, you know, in higher ed, they want you to have the lines of research, and mine aren't as tight as they probably need to be, but the three main areas I try to do are anything to do with coaching, leadership, or spirituality. And if I can combine two or three of those, then that's the sweet spot. And so, but I also have a, a, a great passion for recognizing uh, meeting people where they are, and uh, working in public schools. My dissertation was on Christian college basketball coaches at public schools because there's a, a fine line in, in, in being in a public institution like I am now where you want, you're free to uh, express your faith but not to push your faith onto other people. And coaching, when I did outside Atlanta, was a very diverse area. I had Muslim players, Hindu players, you know, Jewish players, people of all faith. And, in fact, this last year, I was a inclusive excellence faculty fellow on our campus where I led interfaith efforts across our three campuses and trying to make everyone feel welcome no matter what their faith is. But as for me, when I speak to my faith, uh, you know, my Christian faith and how it's influenced my decision making and the way I coach and, and why I made the decisions I did, uh, I think showing people that it's okay to combine the two, right, that you can be authentic and that it is legal. People usually go to extremes. They say, well, never, ever talk about your faith ever. Or, you know, I'm going to beat you over the head with the Bible, right? And as in most things, if you try and stay in the middle, you can do so uh, effectively. And uh, your actions are always more important than your words anyway. So the example that you set for your athletes, uh, I think, is so important. Well, I wonder if we could stay right there a little bit, Hal, and just talk about that particular subject. It, it is a well-known subject. It's a hot-button issue that surfaces in the news every once in a while, even makes uh, it to the Supreme Court every once in a while, right? We get opportunities to sort of reflect on uh, when working in a, in a public sector uh, in the place of faith, or in this case, the place of Christianity in that space. And sport tends to be a place where uh, we see significant amounts of overlap. Um, and I think a lot of people are just uninformed as, <clears throat> as to what's, uh, what's okay. Uh, but also maybe we're lacking uh, some of the language maybe some of the perspectives that might help us work with student athletes in uh, all types of environments, in an environment where you can be very direct and open, but also environments where there have to be certain boundaries or parameters. Can you, can you give us a little bit more about how you sort those things out in the places that you've been working? Absolutely. First of all, I can say I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> Consult your counsel, uh, but here, here's how I understand it, right? So, Probably the best uh, metaphor I've seen, I believe, was from Douglas Hicks. He's done a lot of work on um, faith and interfaith in the work setting, not in athletics. But it talked about the analogy of a coat. And some people think, like, if your spirituality is your, your coat, you have to leave it in the car in the parking lot. Don't bring it into work, right? 
But that's not what the law says, right? Uh, they, your, your work must make reasonable accommodations to allow you to express. You are allowed to wear religious clothing, have religious items on your desk, that kind of thing, uh, whatever your beliefs may entail. But also, likewise, you're not allowed to make somebody else wear your coat. I can't go put it on them and force them to wear it, especially in a position of power. Right? But you are allowed to be yourself. Right? And I think I've had people, my experience in the class we have on campus, I've had people of all faiths in it, and uh, they respect that. And I tell them, like when I had a Hindu player on my team, and we talked about how we were going to adjust pregame meal to accommodate them. Right? Now we had this conversation about it. I didn't think it divided us. I thought it brought us closer, and we could respect each other. So I think people are so afraid of offending someone. Right? And you're going to offend people. Right? Let's just get beyond that and just what, what was your intent? What was your heart? And let's hear each other out. If I say something right now that offends you, let me know and let's talk about it. Help me understand your perspective. Right? But I want you to know that I think I'm talking to you guys. Right? I don't think it's a coincidence. I absolutely don't. I think your work is impactful. Right? And I, I think that you have been obedient to follow that in the same way with me. And so I just want other people to do that because when you do that, then you find, as the Bible says, that peace that surpasses all understanding. And it's something you can't explain to someone really until they experience it. It's like being a head coach or being a parent. Until you've done it, you just don't really know. You, you've heard about it, but until you've experienced that, it's just something that you just can't really conceive of. It seems like within the world of education, uh, you know, so many folks could take the lead from coaches here or, or, or follow along with what coaches have to do, right? So community building among a sports team is so important. And oftentimes we're taking athletes from such different backgrounds and belief systems and trying to pull them together towards a common goal, right? And it seems like there's, you know, there's obviously, uh, there's more at stake there imminently or, or publicly, I would say, for coaches to do that among their teams. And so when we think about, like, what happens in the classroom, uh, it, it seems like coaches really, really could be driving this type of, uh, of conversation. So I wonder, in, in your coaching education program, you know, how much are you guys discussing this, right? So you're sharing your own views. How much are you discussing, you know, community building or ways in which coaches can actually be at the forefront of of social change or, or being uh, being catalysts for, for bringing people together that otherwise wouldn't be together. Is that a part of what you're doing there uh, directly, maybe indirectly? No, I think, I mean, terms like team cohesion, team dynamics, I mean, those are the things that we talk about. And it's how, how do you make every person feel welcome, no matter their background, whether they're the transfer, they're the freshman, you know, they've changed positions, they've changed from JV to varsity. How do you make everyone feel welcome and, and that they can be their authentic selves? Right? It's so crucial because everybody knows, you know, the old saying, it's not about the X's and O's, it's the Janes and Joes, right? It's the people. And how do you connect with the people? How do you get them? I always say, do you know your players as well as you know your plays? Because we all want to draw up on the blackboard. Everybody's undefeated on the blackboard, right? The whiteboard. I can draw a play. You can draw something to stop it. We can go back and forth for hours. Right? But how do you get the people to execute that under pressure? And getting them to believe in you and trust in you because they know that you've got their back and you're going to allow them to be their authentic selves. And so when you look at all the social issues that have been going on, right, and is that something we talk about? I, I do a lot of uh, work and, and I was just interviewing a college coach and he was talking about how they started um, every week. They would have a session. This was a college, a small college basketball where they would get together and just talk about social issues as a basketball team. Right? And just talk about it as, as a family here. And, and what do you think about this? What's going on? And okay, well, I'd never thought about that perspective. Why do you think that? You know, oh, okay. You know, and so they talk about things. And so I think when we can model that, the biggest problem is people don't communicate. 
they want to send anonymous messages or anonymous message boards or tweets or whatever, and they don't sit down and talk face to face. And I think so many problems could be solved if you just look to the people beside you and try and learn from them and have an open, honest conversation. So I, absolutely, I think athletics can athletics are neither good nor bad. It's how they're they're done, right? And so the coaches have the responsibility to create that environment where it is positive. Right? and where those life lessons are intentionally ingrained and where we are trying to be accepting. Uh, and that does not mean that some people go, those like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to have to, I don't know, you know not, not speak my truth. Well, you can speak your truth in love, right? You can speak your truth respectfully. Um, so I think that's a crucial, and just, take, just beyond religion, where we're talking about race or gender issues or Title IX or whatever it might be. And I think coaches have an opportunity because for whatever reason, right or wrong, Kids do still kind of listen to them, right? And they, what you say does matter. And it's like, I'm sure you guys uh, get this as well. I just got a message just this week from a kid I hadn't seen in 18 years. Sends me a message. Find me uh, through, through LinkedIn is where he found me. And he sends me a message. And he updated me on his life and what's going on. Talking about how his kid was the age was, was playing basketball. And he's like, oh, I wish you know he could play for you kind of thing. And uh, so the impact that you had, the impact that my coaches had on me that I tried to then pass on, to my players, um, because sport, I mean, Mandela said sport, you know, has a power to unite. Young people like nothing else does, right? So I think music at times can unite. I mean, there are other things, the arts, but, but sport, especially in America, has such a way to bring people together from diverse backgrounds. You know, like you, Hal, Chad and I have been on a lot of teams and coached a lot of teams and been a part of really successful or what we might describe as successful teams and, and also ones that like they just didn't come together. And, uh, you know, we try to piece together what it is that holds a team together, that makes it successful, that... Um, that gives us that feeling that in, you know, in the future, we're going to have these sorts of bonds that will continue. And uh, it's hard, really hard to package and it's hard to carry over from year to year. How do you how do you talk to a veteran coach? How do you talk to someone? You're talking to a lot of new coaches, right? But how do you talk to a veteran right. coach and say, you know, this is how you learn from one year to the next. And here's how you pull some of these things together. Maybe a little bit of a bigger picture uh, for that person who's been around it for a while has experienced both ends of things, tried lots of different things. Some of them worked, some mm -hmm. of them didn't. I don't know. Do you have any advice for how, how you might approach that differently than a brand new coach? Absolutely. And that, that's the beauty of our master's program as well, because we have people in there that are just starting. And we have people, we had a guy in there who had won two national championships, been coaching for 30 years, already had a master's degree. I'm like, why are you in here? And he said, I want to get better. And that's probably why he has two national championships, right? And so we have experienced coaches. So I think is you have to maintain that learner's attitude. None of us know it all. We can always learn. We can learn from other people in our building and other areas. When you're a coach at a college or a high school, you can learn from other coaches and other sports. You can learn from professors. So just having that, uh, you know, Kevin Eastman called it a learn-it-all instead of a know-it-all attitude, right? So being a learn-it-all, um, the, the best thing I've seen is, like, for example, there's national standards for sport coaches. They're now in their third edition. They've been around since 1992. I'd never heard of them the first 18 years I coached, right? Now they're the bedrock of our program. Everything is based on them. That's why we're nationally accredited. And if I had known, I would have been a better coach faster. It's what great coaches already do and might not even know it. Right? 
So now we tell them and through our program, we're helping you jumpstart and skip mistakes, you know, things I wish I had known. So if you look at things like the National Standards for Sport Coaches, the International Sport Coaching Framework, uh, which has been, which is free online. Uh, I think the first one is in 2014. Uh, and internationally, coaching is looked at very differently. It's, it's not like a profession in a lot of the developed world versus in America, we're not to that point. But, um, and probably if you want to get theoretical, Self-determination theory is that I wish I had heard about a long time ago. Uh, and, and the three critical areas there are autonomy. You know, do the players feel like they have some say? And this is the one I get the biggest pushback on. I was speaking for USA Basketball, and the coaches are like, oh, come on, I'm in charge. You know, yeah, you can be in charge, but giving away some of your power to get them to buy in uh, actually strengthens your power. Because I ask our coaches when they come into the program, the master's program, what's the biggest issue you face? High school coaches and middle school coaches almost always say parents. College coaches and pro coaches almost always say player buy-in. Number two would be parents, and then high school and middle school coaches, number two is buy-in. How do you get buy-in? <clears throat> Excuse me. You get buy-in by valuing their opinion. And so autonomy, you know, letting them have some say, and it could be things like what drill we do. It could be what defense we start in. It could be where we eat, what we wear on the road. There's a lot of different ways you could do it. All right, so that's one. And then relatedness is the second one. Are we connected? Everybody talks about family. One, two, three, family, right? We were on break the huddle, right? But how are we connected beyond just a chant? What are we doing off the field, off the court, out of the pool? What are we doing to connect beyond a sport? Okay. And, uh, and then the, the last one is competence. Coaches are great at pointing out what you did wrong, right? Dang it, you screwed that up. Oh, why, what's wrong with you? You didn't do this, you, right? But how do we build on what they do well? Because if you make somebody feel like, man, I'm getting better, then they want to listen to you. I remember when Sean McVay got hired with the Rams. He was very young. And I saw on ESPN, they're saying, how are players that are older than this guy going to listen to this young head coach? And a former NFL player that was on the panel said, if he can help them get better, they'll listen to him. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, white, black, it doesn't matter. If you can help me get better, I'm going to listen to you. And that's competence. Right? So do you design your program, do you design your practices to improve the competence and show them that? And now, depending on your sport, it's a little different, but individually, but also as a team. Like we would post, we would chart individual drills, but also team drills to show them how our competence was improving. So now when I tell you, Brian, I believe in you right now. The ball's going to come to you, you're going to knock it down. Because in the last three weeks, you're shooting, I can give you some stuff, I can back it up. Instead of just saying, which does matter, it's important to say I believe in you. But now we've got some data that's posted in the locker room. You're getting better. You're ready for this opportunity. Right? Now that our connectedness, right? our relatedness improves. So they're all related. So what I tried to do when I then started coaching again, after I was a professor, I also coached on the side some, is every drill we had had to touch one of those things. If it, if it wasn't, then I didn't do it, and hopefully multiple ones. So I know that was probably a longer answer than you wanted. No, that was great. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. And... You know, in America, I think uh, because we have so few, you know, licensures for coaches of, of youth sports and, f and so few sports, you know, we see this as a as an avocation, you know, as something that we sort of do on, on the side that we do uh, on our own. And it's a it's a maybe a guild mentality as all right, I'm learning from the coach that I played for as opposed to actually going through an education program geared towards preparing coaches uh, to be good coaches, to do well. Uh, in, in whatever ways we measure excellence. But then, you know, Brian's question is, is a really good one. And I, and I, I caught some, 
um, some personal interest in that question. Brian is a, a mid-career coach. You know, what, what does a program like this do for someone like me? And your answer was a really good one. So I, I'm going to ask a question maybe more uh, within my area of interest based on what you just said. You, you've alluded to USA Basketball a little bit. Talk about, talk about some of the work that you've done, maybe from a practical standpoint. I'm also interested in the work that you've done from a theoretical standpoint. What's the research that you're doing? Who are you speaking to? Who are you working with to help them outside of your students in the program? Well, that was a wonderful story as well. 2015, I was speaking at the National Coaching Conference in West Virginia. And as part of, I didn't really realize when I first thought, well, I'll get my doctorate, how many conferences you have to go to. And I'm going to this conference, and my second daughter had been born. To be honest with you, I didn't really want to be there. And I didn't really want to speak. I kind of had a bad attitude. And then I kind of gave myself a pep talk. I actually got a message True story, I got a message the night before I spoke from a kid I'd coached 17 years ago when he was 11 years old. And now he was a, a state trooper in North Carolina. He, he said, Coach, I would give him a, a written evaluation. He said, I've still gotten the evaluation you gave me on my wall in my parents' house where I grew up. Right? And it just blew my mind. Right? Absolutely blew my mind. So that kind of fired me up. I said, all right, I'm going to do the best I can. All right? So I go give the pre- presentation, brought my A game, best, best I had. Right? Well, in the audience are two people from USA Basketball. I see their shirts, right? Because there's a lot of people from the Olympic sports and NGBs there. And uh, so I went up and I said, hey, uh, USA Basketball, you know, Hal Wilson, if there's ever anything I can do to help, let me know. Thinking they'd pat me on my head and send me on my way. Be like, oh, yeah. But, and they go, well, actually, we're starting these national coaching academies. Would you be willing to come to Chicago and speak? We loved your talk. I'm like, let me think. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. I will. I'll be there whenever. Yes, I'll be there. So, uh I got to go to Chicago and speak at their first coaching academy, and they enjoyed it, and they've asked me back. I've spoken at the regional player camps. I've been to the junior national team training camp, uh, the senior national team training camp. Um, those are just observing. I'm not involved with those teams, but uh, I helped them develop. Uh, I was a, a volunteer consultant when they were developing their coach licensure program. Uh, so it's probably been the greatest honor professionally right, to be involved in that at the highest level. Uh, and try and pour into coaches, which was my passion anyway. And then so being involved with coaches uh, around the country at, at these academies has been a, a great experience for me. And the biggest thing that I've learned is when I thought, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to go to the junior national team camp. Like that year, like Trey Young was there, right? It's the best 50 players, 16 and under in the country. You know, Michael Porter Jr. There was these, these studs there. I'm like, I'm going to get this magic drill, right? <laughs> They're going to have this secret. I'm going to finally see this secret. Do you know what they did the first thing they did? Yeah, the first drill I did, national team camp, Colorado Springs. They played sharks and minnows. They played <laughs> sharks and minnows with basketballs. Why? Because even the best players in the world need to have fun. And how many coaches try and take the fun out and drill it out and have you stand in a line while one kid goes and ten of you stand, and then we're surprised when they want to go play video games or go ride a skateboard or do something without coaches where they can just go do it, Okay. And so I learned there were no magic drills. They did the same drills that I had done and I had coached and I had seen, right? But the way you did it, the attention to detail they had, the way they competed, you know, when you're watching Clay Thompson or KD go through their shooting workouts, there were no wasted reps. Uh, So it, it was an unbelievable experience, and I'm so thankful that I got to have that opportunity. You know, and what you talk about in reference to your, those experiences, it it, um, it is interesting that there's so much pressure to step away from fun at a certain point, right? To uh, to get serious, so to speak. And 
there's nothing as serious really as the engagement in the fun of the activity that you're in and, and, and the variety of different ways to get at that. Um, you know, even as, as a golf coach, um, the structure of my practices are built largely around fun. Um, you're, you're keeping good stats. You're, um, setting up opportunities for them to excel, to see some of their growth. Uh, but they love to, to come to practice if, if there's fun involved. Right. And I think, uh, that's one thing that a lot of times people think, you know, the higher you get in something, the the less fun it ought to be so that you can bring a certain level of seriousness to it. And, and you're, you're kind of giving um, a different perspective on that. And I wonder if I can shift gears just a little bit here when you start getting into this idea of your faith integration. And often coaches have enough language to talk about the value of their personal faith that they bring to the moment. Um, I, I listen to God's voice. I pray. Um, it, it helps me in tough times. And athletes talk the same way um, and often talk about sort of the personal value of their faith. But I'm, I'm just wondering about as you set the environment, as you set the culture of a team, a particular team, and you're, you're thinking about it, how, do, how does faith help you think about setting that environment so that... Um, it achieves in many ways the outcomes that you're hoping for. And and is are there really particular examples of how you do that, which you could attribute to your faith? I, I think for me, it comes down to your intentionality, you know, of having a, having a plan to include it. While, and the, probably the best example I can think of is I had a young man whose uh, parents uh, were from Iran. They didn't claim Iran. They said Persia, but grew up in. in um, I'd never directly, when he played for me, you know, witnessed to him or, or asked him specifically about his faith. But we tried to create a program. You could be whoever you were and, and know where I stood. Well, after um, after high school, he got in a little bit of trouble. And now, by this time, I'd, I'd moved. I'm about three and a half hours away, so I, I drive up there to see him, and I asked him, I said, simple question, he said, first of all, I said, I want to take you to this great restaurant, it was a, a fast food chain that, um, it's a good fast food, but anyway, it wasn't what I was expecting, I said, I'm taking you to this great restaurant, so we go to this restaurant to eat, and uh, I asked him, I said, well, where do you get your sense of right and wrong, and he goes, coach, I know what you mean, can you tell me about Jesus, and that just blew me away, so now he asked me, to tell them about Jesus. And then I actually had at the final four in, the, in college basketball, they have the college coaches conventions at the final four and FCA and athletes in action always have a booth and they would have these new testaments that they would give away. And I had picked up one at about 10 years before thinking maybe I'll eventually have somebody I can give it to. And actually we, when we had moved, my wife had asked me, do we need to keep all this stuff? You know, is there anything we can get rid of? I'm like, we're keeping that. Right. And <laughs> so I was able to give him that, FCA New Testament that I had, you know, for 10 years. Um, and so to me, that, that was the best picture of what I was trying to do. All right. And so some people would have a problem with that because what about the urgency? What about the timeline? What are you, you don't, nobody's guaranteed tomorrow. And I understand that. But just the fact that if you can plant seeds, if you can have people want to find out, I think it's going to be much more effective than trying to push it on somebody. And that's just my, based, that's based also on my experience. 
So you've had so many great experiences here that you've shared with us. I, I just love each one of these stories, talking about the ways in which you've been effective at, as, a, as a coach, effective in the sense that your players know where you stand. They know what you value. They know that you're there for them. They know that you care about them. Um, you're, in, you're in academia now. You're, you're working with, with, with students. Where do you see yourself going uh, from here? What's, like, what's the future hold for me, right? Of course, uh, none of us know exactly what that is, but in, in your sense of uh, what's happened throughout the trajectory of your career and what you see happening over the next few years, you know, how is coaching a, a part of that? How is working with other individuals a part of that? Because that seems to be really what inspires you is the ability to really connect with, other, with, with individuals. Where do, where do you go from here? Well, I, I get asked all the time, especially people that really know me because I was so passionate about coaching because coaches changed my life. My high school football coach and my college basketball coach had a huge influence on me. And they're like, I can't believe you're not coaching. That's what I'm <laughs> like, getting how are you? Yeah, Absolutely. So, but now I'm coaching the coaches. So I feel like my impact has been multiplied because I mean, I've, now I've been at Georgia Southern eight years. I've, I've had, you know, over a thousand students uh, who've gone on. And you think about hopefully... Uh, Hopefully some of them maybe found something that I've passed on that I've learned, you know, from my college coach. My, my college coach, um, and I was a walk-on, an uninvited walk-on, and I get a letter from him every week. Every week. And that played, that's 25 years ago I left. Every week. And it's not me. It's like everybody that ever played for him, everybody's ever met. Yeah, he sends these letters to. Mm. Uh, and he doesn't have to do that, right? And that's why when they, they honored him at a, a game last year in February, and because I'm not coaching now, I was able to go. So I go, went back to my alma mater there, and all the, the players, the managers, the secretaries, the radio guy who was in his 90s there in a walker because they want to be there for coach because he was there for us. Um, so now I'm at the point, like, just this summer, one of my former students uh, got his first high school head job. You know, and to me, that's like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's like winning the championship now, seeing the success that they have. And the biggest problem I think I had when I was younger and that we all have is, is we want to be the hero, right? And really, it's, you want to help them be the hero. How can I help you be the hero in your story? Right? It's not about me or what I've done. And the other thing is this, like when I talk with parents, coaches a lot of times talk about their great relationship with players. Well, it's usually your star player. Hmm. Anybody can have a great relationship with your star player. How's your relationship with the 10th person, the 15th person, right? And all my players didn't love me. A lot of them don't, right? But I did the best thing I could. I tried to be honest, right, about here's I am. You're never going to reach everybody. But seeing them have success and hearing from them, hearing from former students now that are coaching and the way they stay, the same way that players do. I went to an academic conference uh, in, in Spokane, the North American Coach Development Summit, just in June. And there were two people that I had been on their thesis committee that now they're in academia, and I was so proud seeing them. Like, here they are, because now they were getting their doctorate. I mean, it was like the best feeling ever to see people go on to do great things. Um, so it's similar to coaching in that way. But I, certainly, I miss coaching, absolutely. But I, I coach my kids, like rec league. So I still do that, and I still get to teach the coaching courses. So, And then being involved with things like USA Basketball. So I still get to you know scratch that itch a little bit. Well, and we appreciate you doing that. Um, I think it's been... Um it's been a lot of un, probably unplanned success uh, along the way, and you just sort of follow where, uh, where you're led, and you step into the opportunity that's there. So you just don't know, right, what's next. And, uh, but we are grateful when we look back for the many opportunities that we've had. I actually have one um, uh, 
similarity to you. So the first person I met when I went to graduate school was Dr. Drew Zwald. And I, and I uh, was very surprised uh, hey. that uh, he knew my name. He probably wouldn't know it anymore, but uh, he knew my name at the time. And uh, I learned a lot from him just in a, in a couple of years of graduate school. He was kind of the director of my TA, and uh, it was just a, a wonderful experience. And, and uh, I learned a lot during those times. And those sorts of networks and relationships um, make such a big difference as we, um, as we engage really in, like you said, uh, making heroes of those around us. And so we really appreciate uh, the work that you're doing. We appreciate you taking the time to spend some time with us here on Sport Faith Life. And we just want to say, uh, carry on. This is, this is excellent work, and it's just uh, it's great to hear a little bit more about it. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, shout out to Dr. Zwald. We lovingly call him the godfather around here in the best possible sense. He, he knows everybody and helps everybody. He's a wonderful person, so that's fantastic. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests, so you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, sportfaithlife.com.